Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I'm Jeff Smelser, and today we're going to be talking about Acts chapter 16 and the gospel in Philippi. Uh, with me is Chase Byers. Good afternoon, Chase, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon, Jeff. It's good to have you back. We're really glad you made it back safely, you and Libby. And uh, I believe you're going to be talking just a little bit about your trip some today too, right? Yeah, a little bit. It's not so much about the trip, but I'm going to talk a little bit about something we saw on the trip. Um, and, um, so when we talk about Acts 16 and we talk about the gospel in Philippi, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, what I saw in Philippi and, uh, Drew DeGrotto, he is in Honesdale, Pennsylvania is joining us today. Good afternoon, Drew. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good to be here with you too. Good afternoon, Chase. Those of you who watch this webcast regularly, uh, know this, that Drew often sits in, especially when we're missing someone, we're missing Joe works today. And otherwise, Drew is usually the technical guy behind the scenes. Drew is kind of the mastermind of this whole effort here, and we appreciate his work. Well, I did. I just got back. Libby and I just got back from a trip to Greece um, and Turkey. Uh, We flew into, well, we were in Prague last Sunday to worship with the church there. And then Sunday afternoon, late Sunday night, we flew with a layover in Istanbul to Izmir, Turkey, And then uh, during the day on Monday, we saw the ruins at Ephesus. Uh, Then after that, we flew to Athens, Greece. And the next morning, drove, uh, rented a car and drove to Corinth, saw the ruins at Corinth, saw the uh, remnants of the road that they used to transport ships from the Aegean at Sincrea across the Isthmus to the Adriatic just north of Corinth, and then we, uh, and of course we saw the ruins at Corinth, then we drove back to Athens, spent the night, saw Athens the next day, uh, the ruins at Athens, the Acropolis, and there of course is more than you could see in a day, but we saw the Areopagus and various things, and then after that we drove that uh, latter part of that day up to Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica as we say when we're talking about the city in the New Testament, and saw uh, Thessalonica that day, drove the next day through Amphipolis, saw Amphipolis, and then to Philippi, saw the ruins at Philippi, which is what we're going to be talking about in Acts 16. And so let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Can I ask you a question, Jeff? Yes, sir. So when when you go on trips like that, and also, have you been over to the the Bible lands as well, Uh, like around ancient Palestine and other places around there? No, uh, no, I've, I've been a lot of places, but this is the first time I've ever, so this been, is the first time, first time I've ever been to any of the, uh, what we would think of as the Bible lands. First time I've, I've never been to Jerusalem and that area. And, and I'm, I'm no expert, you know, sure. when we were, when we were going around these places, uh, I made some serious mistakes in overlooking some things. I just didn't know were there. I didn't, or I, I knew were there in one case, I knew something was there, knew to look for it, just forgot about it. Um, and so if I were to go back, I'd be a little bit better prepared, but, but um, well, here's my question. Do, do the stories in the Bible kind of come more alive once you've been there? And you know, once you've been there, everybody says that everybody says that. And, um, they do, uh, when you're standing on the Areopagus and you're seeing, uh, I, I, maybe I can pull up a picture in a minute of this, but, uh, y- you are seeing, the Acropolis right there in front of you. And to the left of you, there's a, a temple down below. 
And on the Acropolis, there are multiple temples. And one of the temples on the Acropolis, uh, of course, there's the Parthenon, but, but you have other temples up there. And one of them is dedicated to multiple gods. The front half was used as the, as the temple of one deity, and the back half was used as uh, the temple of a cult of another deity. And, and the, there's a word, syncretism. You guys ever heard that word, syncretism? Yeah, synchronized swimming, you know. No, no, not synchronized, but it's kind of similar. Uh, syncretism is when you, you hold, uh, hold a lot of different faiths and, and religions all together. You just, you worship all the gods. You believe all like, of them. That wouldn't be like polytheism then, would it? In a way, it's like, it's like polytheism. It's kind of like an example of syncretism is somebody who believes in Buddhism and he's also a Hindu and he also believes that Jesus was a messenger from God and he also believes in Islam and all of that. He, somebody who manages to believe all of that at the same time, as contradictory as that may be, he's a syncretist. Okay. Well, that's, that, was, that was true in ancient Athens. And standing there on the Areopagus and thinking about Paul as he's, as he's saying, let's turn and read it. This is from Acts 17, the chapter right after what we're going to be seeing. Uh, where Paul says in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. Now, I guess we ought to pause there. There's some discussion about whether, as Luke writes this, he's using the term in the midst of the Areopagus, meaning on that stone where the Areopagus council had in times met and perhaps still met from time to time, or if he's using the term now to refer to the council that had met on the rock, whether they were meeting on the rock or not. In any event, it would have been either on the rock or in close, close proximity to that rock. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, you men of Athens, in all things, I perceive that you are very, and this translation says, religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and as we stood there on that rock, and we could see the Acropolis with all its temples right there. I mean, I probably walked less than 100 steps from where we exited the, uh, where you go, where you enter into the, to the path up to the Acropolis, less than 100 steps from there to get to the Areopagus rock. And, and so he's standing there saying, uh, I observed the objects of your worship. He could be pointing to the Acropolis. He could be pointing to any one of a couple of different temples just down to down below him, all around, or all these different temples with all these different deities. And he says, uh, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And so then he begins to talk to them about the God who is not served by men's hands as though he needed anything. Uh, and the one who made of one every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, having determined the Pointed seasons and the bounds of their habitation, or as he says back in verse 24, the God who made the world and all things therein. Yes, you can read that, but standing there seeing what he was seeing, and it, it really does. It comes alive. It, it was amazing. Well, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, Acts 16 is what we want to talk about today. So, let's go to Acts chapter 16 and let's begin in verse uh, 1. Well, actually, let's, let's just begin in verse 6, because we want to get through this in time. There are a couple of things that we want to do. Here's, here's what I want you to think about. 
Well, let, let's read it. Let's start in verse 6. How about one of you guys read starting in verse 6 and read through verse 10. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Amisia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Amisia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we ought to go. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So all the places mentioned in verses 6 through 9, except for Macedonia, all those places, Phrygia, Galatia, Asia, Mysia, Bithynia, Troas, those are all places in what today is Turkey. Turkey's in the news right now because of what's going on with the conflict between the Syrians and the Kurds and and U.S. troops being pulled out and Russian troops coming in, all of that sort of thing. Where it says Asia, the word here, Asia, is being used just for a Roman province that's on the western end of Turkey. In fact, Libby and I were in Asia in this sense when we visited Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the seven churches of Asia mentioned in Revelation 1. So the point that I'm getting at is Paul is in Asia, and the gospel has never been preached, to the best of our knowledge, um, outside of, well, now let me think, Acts 10, 11, 12, 13. Well, it's been, pre- it's been preached in some of the, it's been preached, I guess, in Africa, but in Europe, it hasn't been preached in Europe, to, to my knowledge yet. I, at least the Bible hasn't described it being preached in Europe. No, yet. well, no. Well, would you count Spain as Europe? What part of? Yeah, Spain would certainly be Europe. Okay, yeah, and so we know that um, Paul wants to go there. He he had purposes to go there at one point, but whether he gets there or not. And actually, I've heard some people speculate his fourth missionary journey, as we mm-hmm. call it. Some people suspect that he went to Spain. Is where he. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and but, and and that would be later than this. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But the the thing that's giving me pause is in verse twenty. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they were come to Antioch, spoke unto the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Of course, that's Antioch of of Pisidia. Pisidia, yeah. and so that's in Turkey, which is Asia. But Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean, and whether that would be considered Asia or Europe. I don't know. It's possible that some some of the saints who had who had um, who had become Christians in Jerusalem in Acts two and then re- returned to some place. Uh, some of them had been from Rome and some other places. So I sure. suppose it's possible some of them had gone back to Europe and the gospel had gone back. But but Acts sixteen is the first account we have of the gospel going into Europe, and so uh, what we have here where it says Macedonia, that's up in northern Greece today. And it's at the top of the Aegean Sea. And that's where Philippi is. And so that Paul sees in a vision someone calling for saying, we need help, come, come help us. So let's come down to verse 11. Drew, if you'll pick it up in verse 11. And read through verse uh, 13. Uh, uh, and so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and went, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. 
We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after okay. she was... Well, hold, hold on there. Hold on there. Sure. So, so we have Paul coming into Philippi. So it mentions his path. He, he sails across the Aegean from Troas, which is on the western coast of, of Turkey today, the eastern shore of the, um, the Aegean. And, and at this point, he, he has Luke with him. He has Luke with him. Luke says us. Uh, Samothrace is, is an island of there in the Aegean, in the north Aegean. And then Neapolis, which means new city. And then from there, they come to Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And um, what was Paul's custom when he would go into a city? Where did he almost always preach first? Where did he synagogue. almost always Usually a synagogue. Yeah. And what day would he go to the synagogue? Uh, on the Sabbath. Why would he go to the synagogue on a Sabbath day when he came into a city? That's guaranteed. Jews will be there. Yeah. Yeah. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when Paul would come to a city, he would first go to the Jews. Uh, why? Why Why would you start with the Jews if you're going to preach the gospel in some city? Well, Paul, as we see, is likely using, or not likely, definitely using Old Testament scriptures uh, to convict and to help them see that Jesus is the Christ. And so, He'll have a he'll have a way to start with them anyways with his past as a Jew. Yeah. So yeah. Um, he'll be able to work from there. Absolutely. The Old Testament scriptures as we know them were pointing to the coming Messiah. They laid a foundation for understanding the, the salvation that God was going to offer in the coming Messiah. And the Jews were looking for the Messiah. We see that in the next chapter when he comes to Thessalonica in verse 2 of chapter 17, it says, Paul, as his custom was, went in unto them, and for three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the scriptures, uh, opening and alleging that it behooved the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom said he, I proclaim unto you, is the Christ. So he could go into a Jewish synagogue, that's what it says in Acts 17.1, he could find Jews who believed there was a Messiah coming, he could turn to their scriptures, show what was to be expected of the Messiah, and then tell them that's what Jesus did, or that's what happened to Jesus, and Jesus is that Messiah. So, so it was typical that he would begin with uh, the Jews going to the synagogue to find them on the Sabbath day. When we come to Philippi, he doesn't do that, but he does, it is on a Sabbath day that he goes outside the gate uh, by a riverside where he supposed there was a place of prayer. Well, if he's going on the Sabbath day to a place of prayer, who's he expecting to find? Jews. Jews or people who might be considered proselytes, Gentiles who'd become, uh, who'd become convinced that, who'd become impressed with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they would be gathered with Jews on a Sabbath day. But in Philippi, apparently, there were not enough Jews for there to be a proper synagogue. And so he doesn't go to the synagogue. He goes to this place um, outside the city to a riverbank. And he finds this, this woman of Thyatira named Lydia. 
uh, Jeff, it doesn't say uh, how he knew that. It just says he supposed it. But I think, wouldn't you say it's safe to say that he did investigating and people told him, oh, yeah, you might want to go down there because the Jews are meeting over there. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I would imagine, that he, in talking to people in the city, he had been told that there was a place outside the city where Jews would gather. You might ask yourself, why would Jews gather outside the city? Let me just pop up here real quickly on screen um, the, a photo, an aerial photo from Google. Uh, let's see, I need to share my screen. So this is Google Maps photo. And uh, you can see the ruins of, of the ancient city of Philippi. We actually, can you see my cursor right now? Does it show up? Yeah. So we entered the area along this path right here and, and came along and saw the theater. Can you see the theater there? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we progressed <clears throat> along this way and uh, saw some things up in here. And then eventually there's a museum on up to the upper left further up that direction, but, but all of this are the ruins of the ancient city of Philippi. And maybe that's enough to give you some sense of when you're there, whoa, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, When you're there, how you can, you can really get a feel for the ancient city. Um, This would have been, if I'm thinking right, where the Agora, or we would say the Agora, the large marketplace would have been. This right here is going to come up in our story in just a minute in Acts chapter 16. And while we're doing this, just outside the city, over this direction, right, right, right. This is going to make it seem like it's a long way. It's not, but there's a river running along right here. And I've got a photo that I want to show you. Um, Let's see, how do I get to that photo? I'll find it in a second. Oh, here we go. All right. Do you see a bunch of pictures here? Yeah, I do. All right. Okay. Let me see if I can find the photo right there. Do you see that little river? Yeah, sure. That's the only river and it's just outside the city. At this point, it's a, it's kind of a, um, you can see the watchtower, the, 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 where the watch, watchman stood up on the hill above Philippi. You can see that from this river, but you can't see the ruins of Philippi from this river at this point. But as you come on down, um, down this stream, downstream from this point, there is a point on this river where you're within, I don't know, maybe 300 yards of the city of Philippi. But this is the point right about here where they've, they've, built a Greek Orthodox church building there and they have labeled this the Baptisterium. This is where they say Lydia was baptized. Whether this is exactly the point or not, um, uh, it's somewhere along in this river that, that we're talking about. All right. So let's go back to the story. Now I want, I want you to keep in mind they went out of the city um, to a place along the river for their place of prayer. So let's pick it up in verse 15 and just get verse 15. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay. It's impressive to me. Now, the more I think about it, I suppose it's, it's not unlikely that there were people who had been baptized on the day of Pentecost 
who upon the persecution that arose in Acts 8 had fled to their homes in Rome uh, or some other European city. Um, but what would Lydia know of them at this point? For all she knows, she is the first person on her continent uh, to be believing in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. You think about being the first person in your neighborhood, the per first person in your family, the first person in your city, the first person in your state to become a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ and how much courage that would take. Here's a woman who maybe to all the, for all that she knows, she is the first one in Europe. Um, you know, if there are people who've gone back to Rome who are Christians, she, she wouldn't know about them. Yeah. She's becoming a Christian. Well, or, or even the Ethiopian eunuch, I think about him maybe in a similar situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, we continue down into verse 16. Pick up the reading in verse 16, read through verse 18. Uh, through what verse? 16 through 18. Okay. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Yeah. So what was it? She has a spirit of divination. Apparently she has a, an unclean spirit. We read about Jesus and, and the apostles casting out demons, unclean spirits. And apparently this girl has such. And it gives her, whether she's actually telling the future or not, it at least gives her an aura. It gives her the sort of behavior that would convince people that they could pay money to her handlers, to her masters, and this girl could maybe tell their fortune. And uh, so, so, but when Paul comes to town, she's following him around, saying that these men are servants of the Most High God and, and are preaching the way of salvation. Is that true? It yes, is true. Servants, yeah. Well, why wouldn't Paul be happy to have her say that? But Paul's annoyed. He, he's bothered by this. Why would he be annoyed by this? I think it's very similar to the demons coming up and screaming, Jesus, you know, you, I, we know you. You are the son of the Most High God, and Jesus tells him to be quiet. He, does, he forbids him from telling people who he is because simply I think it's just bad PR uh, <laughs> to, to have a demon or to have this girl uh, who's got this spirit of divination, as the New American Standard says, to be wrapped up in that and to have that person going around and saying, I know him, I know him, doesn't exactly look good on you. Yeah, who's some scurrilous scoundrel that you can think of that everybody wouldn't think of today as having a really bad reputation? Uh, Adolf Hitler. Okay, Adolf Hitler. I was trying to think of somebody contemporary, but if you were um, if toward the end of World War II, if, if you were an American and Adolf Hitler, or if you were a Jew and Adolf Hitler were following you around, endorsing you. Well, we've got a presidential race going on oh, right now. O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson. Or in the presidential race, if a candidate gets a contribution from somebody who's a member of the KKK, what does the candidate immediately do as soon as it's brought to light? Well, when he gets caught, he turns it back. <laughs> when he gets caught, he returns the money and says, I do not accept this person's endorsement. We don't, we don't want that PR. We don't want to be associated with that. Well, here's a woman who is known for fortune telling and uh, being, and, and there would be people in town who would look up on this as, this is, they're ripping you off, you know. 
And so Paul doesn't want her endorsement. So when he cast the spirit of divination out, it says in verse 19, when her masters saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they laid hold on Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now the marketplace, now some of this is hard to date. Uh, some of this is hard to be sure exactly um, what was here in the first century in the early first century and what was here a little bit later. And especially when it's something that was actually built in the first century. Uh, but let me get back to, um, let me get back to, I've lost uh, ancient Philippi. Well, I mentioned, oh, there it is right there. Okay. So let me share my screen again. Um, so here is, here would be the Agora. Ah, did that again. Here would be the Agora, this marketplace here. And it says uh, that uh, they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them under the magistrates, they said, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and set forth customs, which it is not lawful for us to receive or to observe being Romans. What do you notice what attitude do you notice in those words? These men being Jews, not lawful for us to receive or to observe being Romans. I think you just see a pagan culture, a paganist people, more so than there are Jews in the area. Yeah. And, and, they, also, hate, and they don't like Jews. And they don't seem to like Jews. You know, doubtless the, the Jews who lived in that city, could they could get along okay. But you see a condescending attitude toward the Jews. You see an attitude of, they're Jews, and they have a bunch of customs and laws that we don't like. And now they've got an opportunity to bring an accusation against some men who have created a problem for them, cost them some money. And so these men, being Jews, we are Romans. Now, when you think about that, then maybe that explains why Lydia and the others who are going to go worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're going to go pray on the Sabbath day at the riverbank, why they would have to go out of the city over here to a riverbank to be undisturbed and unmolested as they would, here's the riverbank here. Wow. That, that kind of starts to make sense. You know, let's get out where people who don't, who resent us aren't going to be troubled by the fact that we're worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, well, let's go back to uh, the text here. So, verse 22, the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their garments off them and commanded to beat them with rods. And when they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Well, here in the ruins, uh, let's see if I can zoom in without going to street level. Okay. Here in the ruins, here's the agora, agora or agora. And right, right, if I've got it right, right here. And we're going to see a photo of this right here. That is where they say the ancient jail is. So let me see if I can pull up a picture of this. 
All right, so this is not a great photo, but this is looking down inside it. And if I can move you guys, here is another photo um, looking down inside it. And here's a photo, step back just a little bit. Maybe this is most helpful because I'm standing in the doorway and so you can see my shadow in the doorway here. And then you've got this area back here and this area here. It mentions, uh, an, it, if we continue reading in Acts chapter 16, it says in verse uh, 22, when they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, cast them into the inner prison. Or, or the inner prison? Inner yeah. prison. Yeah. Which suggests, you know, multiple rooms. And it's really hard to get multiple rooms out of this unless there could have been a wall right about here, maybe. And that back there is one portion of the prison. And this up here is another portion of the prison. Hey, maybe the inner prison could have been something like uh, solitaire. Maybe. Made, them, made their feet fast in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. My brother Daryl was here a few years ago, and he, he was wondering, is this really the right location for the prison? I asked one of the people on staff at the Ancient Ruins about that you know, how do they know this? And he said, well, that's for the archaeologists. They, you know, the archaeologists would be the ones. I think it was the man in the museum that I asked about this. He said, well, the archaeologists know. I don't know how they know that, that this is the ancient prison. Daryl questioned it on account of the reference to an inner prison and to doors, all the doors, like there were multiple doors. Now, I suppose there could have been a wall here, there could have been a door here and a door here, and of course, I'm standing in one doorway, so maybe you get three doors out of that, maybe you get two rooms out of that, but I'd like to know why it is the archaeologists believe this is the prison where Paul and Silas were kept, but that's what hey, they think. Jeff, so are we looking at 10 by 10, 8 by 8, what are we looking at here? Um, going by memory here, I would say, let me think here, this is going to be probably 15 across this way. And this is real rough because I'm just going by memory and I wasn't able to step down in there. Uh, maybe 15 across this way and maybe across this way, maybe 20, okay. um, something like that. Maybe 25. I'm probably erring on the, on the short side, if anything, simply because um, you know, when it's, when you're standing outdoors looking at something, it doesn't look as large as, as it does right. when you're inside it. If you know yeah. what time of day that picture was taken, you can just figure out uh, why yeah. your shadow <laughs> is as big as it is and then use that as a scale and figure it out exactly. You can do that. But well, you, you, got, you also have to put in consideration of how tall Jeff is. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey Jeff, well, isn't it interesting that they were so fearful of Paul, that not only did they put him in prison, they put him in the inner prison, and not only the inner prison, but then they put him in stocks. Yeah, well, and that, that I'm not sure if that was so much fearful as punishment. Um, right. But, and, and of course, we're going to read in the text that was not what you were supposed to do with a Roman citizen. Um, but they don't know that Paul is a Roman. One other thing I want to mention is the text in Acts 16 mentions an earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison. Um, 
and, and you know, you look at this and you, you have to ask the question, would this prison still exist? Uh, I guess that depends on how much damage was done to it, whether they repaired it or not after the, after that earthquake. Um, so there was some question as to how they know that this is the prison and if that's reliable or not. But the people there in, in Greece, in Thessala, in Philippi, in, who are associated with the museum and all of that, they, they're convinced this is it. So for, for what it's worth. Well, we continue reading. So let's pick it up in verse 25 and continue. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and, sing, and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Mm -hmm. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself! for we are all here. And he called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So it, it, it's interesting. First of all, he's going to kill himself. I suppose he's thinking his life is toast at this point because he's allowed the prisoners to escape and he's going to be held accountable. So he's going to kill himself. Um, but then Paul says, we're all here. And, and the next thing, he's the jailer who has imprisoned these men is now falling down on his knees before these men and asking, what must I do to be saved? Why would he ask such a question? I don't know. Maybe he had heard Paul and Silas preaching in, in the city enough to have some ideas what their message was. And then upon hearing them singing praises to God as they're imprisoned, and then upon finding that they haven't taken advantage of the opportunity to escape when the earthquake came, um, but that they're calling out confidently, we're all here. Maybe he put all that together and he said, I need to, I need to know your God. I need to worship your God. Oh, I, I, I highly, highly suspect outside of the praying and singing that Paul and Silas have going, there is a conversation of some kind going on between the two of them. You know, those two guys are brothers in Christ and are preachers of the gospel surely they're sitting there talking about spiritual things. Just like if I went over to Jeff's house this evening, him and I would sit there and talk about spiritual things. And so I suspect that he's eavesdropping. He's hearing the things that they're talking about and he knows that they have the answers. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Absolutely. And so I, I just think uh, he, by Paul and Silas's example and their boldness, yeah. God was able to use them. And uh, there's a lesson there for us. If we are willing to be bold, just like Paul and Silas were, open our mouths and be consistent with the way that we live and preach That's opportunities right. will find us and God will use us in, in our outreach to others. And isn't singing a form of teaching as well? I mean, we're to sing with another teaching. Yeah, absolutely. So they spoke the word of, of the Lord to him. Well, they said in verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved you and your house. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, immediately. Uh, well, what happened with Lydia when she heard the word of God? Of God a she little bit earlier. Household. They were baptized. She, in her household, they were baptized. Um, I was teaching a class earlier this morning, people. I don't know their religious backgrounds, but I was asking, is this what people do today? 
is when people become Christians today, is this what happens? And one of the women immediately just said, no. Uh, and then I caught myself and I realized, well, when people truly become Christians, this is what happens. But when people purportedly become Christians today, when they join some denomination that professes to be a Christian church or something, um, this is not what happens. Uh, baptism is put off. If they're ever baptized, they may be sprinkled instead of being immersed. Um, it's scheduled for three months down the road. Or it's whatever. voted on. It's voted on, yeah. But these people, understanding that baptism is, as Paul later writes in the book of Romans, uh, baptism is into Christ's death. That's how we become a part of Christ's death, and it's Christ's death that takes away our sins if we are a part of his death. If we die with him, we shall also live with him. We shall also reign with him, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.12. And baptism is when we do that. So they were baptized immediately. I was hearing this. Jeff, Jeff isn't it, it's like a, a, an aside there, because it, it's not recorded that, Jeff, uh, that uh, Paul said, and now why do you wait be baptized? He doesn't expressly say that in either, in either example, but whatever he's preaching and teaching, which is about the gospel, about Christ, yeah. it makes like, well, this is just a matter of fact. And this, so they, they decided to be baptized. This is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So then verse 34, he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly with all his house, having believed in God. Well, the, though he, he's a Christian now, He's the jailer, but he doesn't have authority to turn these guys loose in the city. And so when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. Why are the magistrates all of a sudden interested in letting Paul and Silas go? Did they I find out that they're Romans? Not yet. They're going to, but they haven't found out yet. But I think it's simply because they realize we really don't have any grounds to hold these men. Uh, we beat them, shake them down, scare them. Yeah. But we don't have any grounds to keep them. So, so they said, come forth and go in peace. Come on out of the jail and just go. And Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men that are Romans. Mine says without trial. Without trial. That's right. You're condemned when you're convicted in a trial. And a Roman citizen had rights. You couldn't just beat a Roman citizen without, first of all, having a trial and convicting him. But that's what they'd done. And then Paul lets on Roman citizens. So Paul, he was a Jew, but having been born in, in Tarsus of Cilicia, the circumstances of his upbringing, his birth, were such that he had Roman citizenship. And he had the rights as a citizen of Rome such that you couldn't do these things to him. And somebody who was uh, under the authority of Rome who did these things to him, they had committed a serious crime. And so when he says men that are Roman citizens, and he goes on, you cast us into prison. Do you now cast us out privately? Nay, barely, but let them come themselves and bring us out. Hey, you're not just going to commit this crime against us and then let and then just send us away quietly. No. And so verse 38 says, the sergeants reported these words to the magistrates and they feared when they heard that they were Romans and they came and besought them. And when they brought them out, they asked them to go away from the city and they went out of the prison and entered into whose house? Lydia. Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. This is the beginning of the church at Philippi. Later on, Paul writes, letter to the Philippians. It's one of the books of the New Testament. And 
And uh, that's a letter to this church that begins here in Acts 16 with the conversion of Lydia and her household and the jailer and, and his household. It's also just, we already plugged this earlier, but uh, this is something I used to always forget, that, that Macedonia and Philippi are one and the same. It pointed that out to us back in verse, um, in verse 10. And so later in 2 Corinthians, Paul will bring up the giving of the Macedonians and who he's really referring to are these Philippian Christians. Am I well, right about that? Well, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, these were all cities where Paul right, the right. gospel in Macedonia. Right. So Macedonia is the region, and, and Philippi is one of the cities there in Macedonia. Yes, but you're right. When he talks about the generosity of the saints in Macedonia, that would include the Philippians. Right. And so here you have these people hearing the gospel in Philippi, and later on, they're the ones who are sending money to help the needy saints, Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. And, and that's kind of interesting, seeing the attitude toward Jews that we've already seen evidenced here in, in Philippi. And we'll see Paul brag on the Philippians for being first in giving uh, to him and supporting him from, from first, he says, in Philippians 1. And uh, it's just so encouraging to see that, that they are, they are by his side consistently throughout his entire life, even up into his imprisonment and likely even his death. Now, there's one other thing that I want to mention to you, um, and that is that as we were driving, we, we were driving from the north coming to Philippi, and um, this, is, this is not any big thing, but it's just interesting. We were coming from the north, and but shortly before we got to Philippi, we're driving through cotton fields. Uh, if you've traveled down south in Mississippi or Alabama, you've seen cotton fields perhaps. And, and if you're there near harvest time, you've seen the stray cotton bits lining the sides of the road. And you might see a trailer that's been loaded with cotton, and it's still got cotton all embedded in the in the sides of the truck and everything. We saw all of that in the area around Philippi. We were seeing cotton fields. But just oh, very, a very few miles uh, just before we got to Philippi, really probably um, uh, maybe a couple of miles before we got to Philippi, we saw this sign. And so we stopped. And, and what that says is, the lower sign says, Lydia. And I was driving along and see the sign says Lydia. And I thought, well, that's that's interesting. You know, there's a Lydia who's in the story of the beginning of the church in Philippi, and we're almost there, and there's this other little village of, of Lydia right there. But I have a granddaughter named Lydia, so I wanted to stop and take a picture of the sign pointing to the little village of Lydia. So I uh, took the picture and then got back in the car and drove past the little village of Lydia to Philippi, saw the ruins, and then started asking, did they have any idea where it was that Lydia was baptized as, as, as told in the story in Acts 16? And one of the guys there, he first, he didn't know what I was asking. He didn't understand what I was asking. But finally, he said, oh, the baptisterium. Uh, yes, Lydia. And then I realized when you go to where I showed you that photo of the stream where Lydia was baptized, where they say she was baptized. That close to the ancient ruins of Philippi is a little village that they've named Lydia. Apparently named it after uh, this Lydia in, in Acts 16 because that's where she was baptized. And so that was kind of interesting. That was Isn't that beautiful? So, all right. Well, so that's a, a look at Acts 16, having just vi visited the ruins of Philippi where all these events in Acts chapter 16 take place.
Then you get to the next chapter in Acts 17, and you see the gospel going to Thessalonica. We spent two or three days in Thessalonica, and then uh, also uh, Acts 17, Athens, and we spent time in Athens as well. So maybe we'll have occasion to talk about those sometime in the future. Hey, Jeff, I just, uh, in the beginning, Paul wanted to go to Bithynia or Bithynia, and then he wanted Bithynia. to go to Asia, yeah. right? Then he wanted to go to Asia, and in each time, he was prevented. Now, we don't yeah. have any record as to what prevented him, but I get the impression is that it wasn't a miraculous prevention. Uh, prevention. It was just circumstances that wasn't letting him go because we get the impression that the miraculous vision was the first time that said where the Holy Spirit wanted him to go. And well, it, it's interesting. Go ahead. What? Well, actually, verse 6 and 7 say this. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden of the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So the Holy Spirit said, don't go to Asia. Well, it doesn't mm-hmm. say he spoke to him. It just said if, uh, the Holy Spirit forbid him. We don't, we, I guess he could say he spoke to him about it, but we don't know for sure, do we? Uh, you're right. You're right. It doesn't say the Spirit said, Paul, don't go to Asia. The, the Holy Spirit forbade it. Whether the Holy Spirit forbade it with words or by actions, I guess we don't know. Verse 7 says, when they were come over against Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus suffered them not again. I guess it's not absolutely certain that the Spirit suffered them not by saying don't go there, or if the Holy Spirit simply by events prevented them from going there. Yeah, and the point I want to get to is that we clearly see that the Spirit presented a vision to him, which clearly told him, oh, the Lord wants me to go over there. And why? Because there's a fellow in the vision that was saying, help us, help us, right? Right. These were hearts of, of people that were searching for the Lord, searching for the truth, goes over there and look who he finds, people who wanted to find the truth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's a wrap for today. Uh, thank you for joining us, and we hope that you'll be able to join us again next week for Bible Quest. Um, and thank you, Chase, and thank you, Drew. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.